Waveform Magazine is a free print publication that focuses on synthesizers and those who inhabit that world. Issue number one is due out in April 2019 and features interviews with Suzanne Chiani, Dave Smith, Folk Tech, with articles written by Div Kid, Abe from AI Synthesis, and more. There are also plenty of gear reviews, music reviews, and a shop talk section where we get to know about those who run our beloved synth shops. Sign up for your free subscription at www.waveformmagazine.com and follow them on Instagram. Welcome back. Good news. Allergy season has come upon us a little early. Thank you, global warming. Um, still, still, the jury's still out on the global warming thing. We'll see, but uh, I don't know. It seems pretty strong for, to me. Just kidding. Jury's not out. It's happening. If, uh, if you deny climate change, you're not listening to this show, I imagine. I wonder, do I have any flat earthers? Or climate change deniers. Um, I would love... Well, I wouldn't love to hear from you. Just just say, hey, I'm a pod mod bod and I'm one of these things. And then we'll leave it at that. Um, good episode today. We finally got one of the American pioneers of Eurorack on the show. And why hasn't he been on the show before since we live in the same town? Well... We're both busy, and schedules are a thing. But we finally got Scott Yeager from Industrial Music Electronics on. Um, so pretty excited. He's such a nice guy. He had uh, co-host, actually, guest co-host Daniel Miller, a.k.a. Infidel Tech. He had Daniel and I over at his house, so we got to see um, you know, where the ideas come from in his enormous ADAC uh, case. Like, I don't even know how many HP and how many you that thing is, but it's a lot. Um, probably about 18 times what I have. Uh, it was pretty cool. So yeah, we're going to get into that pretty soon, but I want to just say really quick that this episode is brought to you by Patchworks, our local synth shop here in Seattle. And it doesn't have to be just ours here in Seattle. It can be yours too because they have an excellent web store, P-A-T-C-H-W-E-R-K-S. And while we're talking about Patchworks, let's talk about some events that they're having. Um, April 7th, Sunday, 3 p.m. to 5 p.m., Anne Annie and Constant Shapes, uh, modular and synth composition workshop and performance. So that's going to be pretty cool. Um, yeah, just like you're going to do a, a workshop performance. Listeners can experiment with modular synthesizers and learn basic and advanced comp- composition techniques. Um, as you probably know, if you've heard me talk before, Anne Annie is one of my favorites. Uh, modular artists so i'm gonna try to see if i can snag an interview slash podcast while they're up here also um, i want to talk about the the fundraiser that i uh mentioned last week for chloe it's it's called the fun time fun time fun excuse me the fun time fundraiser um and that will be sunday april 14th but it won't be at patrick's patrick's is putting it on but it will be at the substation where we uh, where we have our modular nights uh, shows there in well it's it's called Freelard it's in between Fremont and Ballard but that will only matter to a small fraction of people listening right now um, but yeah try to go check that out if you're in town 
I want to shout out a few. Pod Mod Bods uh, have released some albums, and they have asked me to pass that information on to you. Um, and I just want to be really clear that you don't have to be a Patreon supporter or or give me anything for me to pass on the album. Maybe give me a download code so I can throw the album or throw a song in underneath what I'm talking about. Um, so yeah, if you want me to talk about it, send one my way. Pod modcast at gmail.com i also get a lot of requests via all sorts of different um, messaging things like facebook and instagram and um your best bet if you want me to get back to you quickly and you want me and you want uh, something to be shouted out on the show is definitely through the email i don't mind the other ones but that's the fastest way so chris ochi o-t-c-h-y or ochi i hope I hope one of those is right. Just released an album called Subterranean Landscapes, um, and that is on Bandcamp. And you know the song that's called uh, or the song, the song that is playing right now is called The Day After the Banquet. So go to Chris Ochi, that's O T C H Y dot Bandcamp dot com to check that out. And uh, thanks for sharing, Chris. That's I love hearing from you guys. Also, uh, past guest. Ben Hines from Dwarfcraft has just released uh, a new a new song and the album is coming soon and I just want to read a little uh, a little thing off of the the press release which is is really interesting it's a, a label called Philip K Discs <laughs> which I love I'm a big Philip K Dick fan if um, if you don't know who Philip K Dick is I suggest starting with the book Valis it's it's not weird and mind bending and maybe will not definitely will not make you feel like you're losing your mind um just kidding don't start with valis maybe start with uh you know, do elect do uh do electronic sheep's dream of brain what is it do like it's what blade runner was based off of i can't believe i'm i'm uh blanking on this i'm gonna be so mad i just googled it do androids dream of electric sheep ah that's it him it's weird me 10 years ago hearing that ramble right there would have been so so mad at me and so disappointed for for forgetting but i'm gonna leave all that in just so you young pod mod bods can see that aging is a real thing and it starts around 35 i'm finding um so yeah anyways anyways ben hines past guest mastermind behind dwarf craft is releasing an album called deep it's available for pre-order right now. It will be on limited edition cassette, and that will be out April 20th, 2019. And uh, that song that you hear below me talking right now that we've transitioned from into is a snippet from Deep. So yeah, please check that out on philipkdiscs.bandcamp.com. And I think that will do for now on events and releases but again if you guys have anything you want me to spread the word about hit me up on podmodcast at gmail.com also um want to take a moment to plug the patreon i really appreciate everyone helping out and uh yeah if you would like to help out it's patreon.com forward slash podular modcast and uh I am falling a little behind on my patchstagrams, which is a tier. You can send me some words, and I'll create a patch and put it up on Instagram. Um, yeah, but I promise I'm getting to those, and yeah, they will be out soon. All right, we're going to get into our talk with Scott Yeager and guest co-host Daniel Miller, a.k.a. Infidel Tech, here in a moment, but let's check out a demo first. 
Okay, let's look at the Pittsburgh Modular Microvolt 3900. It's a desktop analog synthesizer that is semi-modular. Um, has a giant patch bay on the right-hand side that you don't have to use, but uh, I suggest you do, and I am going to be using it. Um, so without using the patch bay, it has a pretty pretty standard synthesis chain through its filters and envelope generators, uh, LFOs, function generator. Um, but you can start breaking that apart, which is what I'm going to do. So I'm going to send just the pulse wave into the filter, and I'm controlling the filter frequency by the uh, function generator, which is being triggered by its own envelope generator. Um, and I'm using a Turing machine for the sequence. So let's see what that sounds like. The filter on this thing is one of my favorite aspects of it and you can use any module with it to feed it through so basically when you get the microvolt you're you're pretty much getting let's see one two three four five six different uh modules basically um but right now i've got like i said the pulse wave going through that so that sounds pretty nifty now i've got the uh the fold wave coming out um of that and I'm controlling the timbre with the LFO ramp of the microvolt. So let's see what that sounds like. I can mess with the uh, LFO time. I think that sounds cool. Um, now I've got the sine wave. Um, I've got the, the harmonic sine button engaged. So that's this guy right here. Pretty nifty. And then, of course, just the saw wave uh, running directly into a mixer as well. Real beefy. So let's see what these all sound like together. Pretty cool. Um, and then I'm using the uh, the expander, the expansion of the Turing machine, the volts, uh, and I'm going to plug that into the FM input of the microvolt. And now I'm going to engage some effects. So I've got the pulse wave coming out of the filter into the AI synthesis stomp box and into the memory toy from uh, Electroharmonics and then into the Afterneath from Earthquaker Devices. And then I've got the harmonic sign going into another AI synthesis stomp box and then into the downward spiral from Mr. Black and then the transmitter from Earthquaker Devices. And then I've got the fold wave going into the echophone from Make Noise. Now let's see what all of those sound like individually with these effects because they sound pretty cool. Now we'll hear that pulse wave coming through the, uh, the filter of the microvolt and then into the AI synthesis stomp box adapter into downward spiral delay from Mr. Black and then into the transmitter from Earthquaker Devices. Listen how uh, watery this sounds. 
mess with the warp knob on the transmitter. And then finally, uh, this sign with the harmonic uh, harmonics engaged. Let's listen to that through the uh, memory toy. Pretty simple little analog delay into the afterneath from Earthquaker Devices. This drag knob on the afterneath is a lot of fun. And then one more time all together. So there you have it. Go check out pittsburghmodular.com to learn more about the Microvolt 3900. Um, and uh, don't forget to check out Earthquaker Devices, um, some of my favorite pedals on Earth, and the AI Synthesis 006 Stompbox Adapter, which has really opened up my whole effects world. So I can use all these great pedals now. time coming to oh, yeah. to chat with you scott so i'm glad that uh we came up here and daniel wanted to jump on board because i like to have co-hosts every once in a while mm -hmm. and you guys have known each other for a while so yeah. i'm glad you guys are here yeah <laughs> i'm glad to finally get you on the show i feel like being from seattle and doing the show i feel like it would admit like i think maybe some people might be like wondering why hasn't he talked to Scott Yeager yet? Yeah, in the same there city. Are reasons. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do find that it's it's almost harder to talk to people in in town because like we try to meet up in person and somehow for some reason the online thing is easier. But George Matson and I had a running joke where well, it was actually true where you know, I'd see him a couple times a year, but almost never in the state of Washington. <laughs> <laughs> Just out at like cons and or uh, Yeah. Yeah shows um so i feel like you've probably been asked and had to tell the story of how you got about started the, a bunch i thought you're gonna ask me why i changed my name oh well i mean <laughs> I, well, I, I don't want to cover stuff that's been well documented but i yeah I, it's quite well documented yeah um so we probably don't need to cover the whole the whole thing um but maybe just like a quick quick and dirty I'm always curious how people found their way into it. You know, were you an electronic, uh, you know, engineer or pedal enthusiast or, you know, where did it all start? Well, in the mid nineties, I was a teenager and that's when we had these brightly painted virtual analog synthesizers and these, this massive dope for catalog that, you know, I'd never seen one of the things myself, but that was fascinating. You know, I got one of those Nord micromodulars early on. They're pretty cheap. That kind of got the the gears turning. And if you want to go way back, it was the old telephone switchboard, the Jackfield at the Seattle Children's Museum that got me thinking about the interface at age five or so. My brother had a Casio SK-1 around that time. It's in Sonic's drum, and as he grew up and faded out of the household, those were left behind. 
But yeah, I did some university that was involved with performing tech arts, technology, audio production, and so on. Eventually, I got a was playing with a large improv jazz ensemble at Northwestern. And at the time, I'd picked up some of these Dopefer modules cheap. This is around 2005. That was really good. We had a we had a nice little group going, and eventually, we were coming to some hard conclusions, such as why does a voltage-controlled bit crusher not yet exist, <laughs> and why must this interface on the sampler module be the way that it is? Mm-hmm. So uh, there wasn't a whole lot of stuff really to pick from other than yeah, it was just uh, it was dope for two British analog manufacturers, and then LifeWire and Plan B mm-hmm. and Vox Glitch. You can't forget about those guys. Yeah. So yeah, I didn't have any training as an engineer. I had some rough ideas of how to make caveman style embedded audio devices and I had some good luck designing PCBs for the first time and getting things to make sound, pushing data over serial bus and the algorithm was born. So 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 from at that point was it kind of um just making things out of necessity or was it from the beginning kind of uh wanting to start a business it was more for personal use at the time i was a student and uh yeah the bit crusher is a very necessary thing i was able to dial in the behavior pretty much exactly as i wanted even given the primitive specs of the device the time safari was a big thing that was the biggest of the first four ideas that i had and the idea was to have you know, voltage control over start and end point gates that could manipulate the transport in various ways. Kind of like, you know, the ideal of that would be the, you know, hardware version of the max MSP buffer object. Mm-hmm. Kind of got closer to that with the, the Mark II. But yeah, we, uh, I talked with my advisor and some of my collaborators there at Northwestern and you know, by the end of my time there, I had two things fully working, the algorithm and the Zorlon Cannon, and time safari followed soon after. But, you know, as soon as I exited the school, Sean Cleary of Analog Haven came knocking, and it became obvious that I could uh, sustain myself doing this for a little bit. And it was kind of an interesting journey. I was learning a lot of stuff on the job. <laughs> a decade later, I'm pretty satisfied with what I'm designing. Yeah, yeah. But that's, that's only a, a recent feeling. Yeah, okay. Well, that's that's interesting because that's that was going to be my question. Was that, was it uh, like the elation to stress like ratio, you know, like it must have been exciting to have, to have started to make things that you wanted in this kind of uh, unexplored format um, and then it had to have been pretty exciting for people to to know that people were coming to you saying we want this mm-hmm. but then what kind of pressure does that add to you as like okay this started as something that was more a hobby or something i wanted to do for me and now it's becoming like a business venture like how did you feel about like being a businessman at that point in time uh, 
it required some uh, rewiring upstairs. <laughs> I'm sure those close to me loved that process. <laughs> the stress gradient was pretty continuous. I mean, you know, I learned a lot of stuff as I went along, and you know, dealers and customers were overall quite supportive, you know, especially in the early days. The, uh-huh. It was such a, a weird type of instrument that we were just doing a couple dozen modules at a time. And yeah, everyone knew each other in those days. Mm-hmm. But as it grew a little, the, uh, the feel of it changed, maybe not necessarily for the worse, but my, uh, responsibilities changed as a result, you know, in the, the middle of the last decade, you know, as things are widespread enough and starting to gain more traction amongst professionals and, the technical demands increased. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I was making my own specifications for new devices much stricter and attaining the design skills necessary to realize that. And that's steadily ramped up, but I'm comfortable with my Mark III platform and everything. Probably the most pressure I felt lately is, you know, the knowledge that, you know, it's, it's not just, uh, musicians that use these things a lot of people you know they get the things and they use the the devices in a therapeutic manner mm-hmm. so i've thought about that a lot lately and i feel a certain responsibility for the devices to offer a certain range of sounds for that purpose the sound therapy stuff or music therapy or or just maybe not formally but yeah however the user may decide to use the devices for other than recording right it does the whole format does seem to be like um for as for as into it and fervent as people get about it definitely less of a focus on the end product of what you're making and more Mm -hmm. uh more process oriented which Mm -hmm. is something that i've been enjoying about it yeah it's pretty interesting um so you were one of if not the first like U.S. Eurorack manufacturers, right? Uh, yes. Before me, there was just the the guys doing ear group out in California, Mike Brown and Peter Grenader. Both those guys were really helpful with giving me necessary information for you know dealing with what the market was at the time and helpful mechanical advice. Yeah. So, and then I think what like like Make Noise in Pittsburgh probably were sh- followed a little bit after. You started doing Harvestman stuff. Yeah, Make Noise started up maybe a year or two after I did. And yeah, we were in really heavy communication back in those days. We talked on the phone most every day. Yeah, that was going to be my question. So so you and Tony Rolando and, and, and maybe Tom, did Tom Nickel come into the, the into your guys' kind of circle? And No, I never had too much communication with Tom until we started like doing Superbooth and Music Mesa and stuff. Okay. That's when I went out to see Tom still don't know the guy very well yeah tony and i worked a lot we we'd always like bounce weird ideas or just concepts not necessarily like products we just throw data and ideas <laughs> around and I, we certainly have different approaches but mm-hmm. the communication was really essential to how i was uh developing my own line and back then our lines complemented each other quite well he didn't come out with the dpo for 
some years. So his demo system back then usually included a Mark I Hertz donut. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I always had my uh, mod to mod and pressure points in mine. Mm-hmm. That's, that's I, I mean, again, I always have to say the listeners heard me talk about this type of thing so much, but it, it's, it's, that sounds like kind of the beginning of what is consisted like or persisted through the scene of like kind of the the open the open and welcoming nature of this this format and what and what i haven't said yet is i'm I'm almost worried as it grows in popularity i I really don't want that to to start maybe diminish with the more people you add to the mix because it seems like people are always the worst factor in good things (laughs) yeah i i don't know if i'd be that that overly concerned about that that saturation ruin it because i think anything if there's a good foundation that's built with the community it's the heart's still going to be there mm-hmm. so no matter what the, the the core group of of the early adopters or the you know or people that are just getting into it right now before it if it really takes off you know mm-hmm. it's there's such a great community of musicians and different levels of artists and manufacturers that all openly communicate and work together. Mm-hmm. So, And it seems like, I mean, I know nothing about engineering or manufacturing these and I couldn't think of new ideas for this, but it seems like it's a new enough territory and format to where we're maybe just scratching the surface. And I'm, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on like how much crazier is, can, can modular get with, with just different ideas. Like I've heard some people say, well, all the, you know, between, you know, the four or five Titan companies, which includes you, what can you really do that hasn't been done? But how do you feel about that? Um, right. Well, my personal explorations have been with adding, uh, you know, voltage-controlled morphing presets. So basically mm-hmm. macro control over a great number of parameters at a time. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I think a lot of the path forward and craziness is digital in nature. Mm-hmm. Though Tony's done something pretty cool with his new filter stereo thing, with the yeah, really complicated control circuit. I think it, so- it sounds beautiful. Um, of course, I'm always curious to see what uh, Emily from Mutable has up her sleeve. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sure we'll all be amazed later this year. Yeah, I'm curious to see what the the next iteration of Clouds is gonna. I mean, have, you, like. have you played with stages? That thing is. I'm in between. I'm I'm gonna get marbles or stages, and I haven't decided which one yet. But I, I've, I've heard both. <laughs> yeah, I never like really got on with like the macro, like multifunctional things. Mm-hmm. But like stages, like is like the most modular module I've used since having that bare bones dope for setup back in the day, where it's like six elements of something. It's like the barest deconstruction of a thing, and that was. That threw out my patching style for a little bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's oh. that's got to be a cool feeling to to be this deep in it and then find something that's kind of like like I guess th- that kind of leads me to the question of of is it is it hard to get excited about it? Have you like are, are you have you maintained a pretty even level of enthusiasm? I mean, you're still doing it, but for like maybe not even just the building of it, but just the using of of the format and making music with it. I've really not had time to make a whole lot of music since yeah. ever. <laughs> Sometimes I'm able to be pressured into performing live, and that's 
It has positive results usually, but I've not really had too many opportunities to be purely creative with the devices themselves, but I get enough out of creating them that mm-hmm. I don't really feel like I'm missing out on a whole lot. And I do go through phases where sometimes I, I really intensely think about using other people's designs as well. Like mm-hmm. in my system, I have a couple rows of other people's modules and then mm-hmm. a couple of my voice modules. Yeah, it's. I mean, I, I I'm not you know I'm not an expert on any of your stuff, but I feel like from everything that I've seen and and you know experienced firsthand, yeah, like very intricate. Um, but I get the sense that sound, like the actual sound, like like oscillators, basically are kind of. Are, is that like your bread and butter? Your favorite thing to to work on? I mean, I I know your 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 sequencers are fucking crazy too, but yeah. Um, like is it is it the is it the actual like sonic output that that is the most yeah i think i think it's pretty accurate to say that the oscillators are where most of my thought goes you know back when i first started i always imagined you know having a sort of wavetable oscillator that you didn't need to excite by midi input mm-hmm. i think with the mark 3 piston honda i finally zeroed in on what i like about the stuff as it turns out, the secret sauce wasn't in the wavetables themselves. It was in how they are unison or chorused. Mm-hmm. I always said I'd never do a sequencer, but eventually I found a way to make one interesting and playable. And, and the response to that has been uh, mm-hmm. surprisingly good. Yeah, my buddy, uh, I think you, you know Greg Markle from Recovery? Yeah. He fucking swears by your sequencer, dude. Like oh, the good. Stilson Hammer, the, um, the 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 new big one. Is that is that Mark II or is that a different? Yeah, it's a Mark II. Yeah. I've never had a conversation with the guy, and I should. Yeah, he, he, he is always, like, every time I talk about modular, somehow he brings up the Stilson Hammer, and I'm just like, fuck, I need to get one. Um, at this point, yeah, so you don't have a lot of time to use them create, creatively, as an end product, but the, the process of, of building them has to be like, I guess technical to creative, like what's that ratio like, and, and how much, how much is it kind of like you're like trying to solve a a problem versus, um, trying to create like, you know, a a, a painting or something to use like a really generic metaphor for a module. Well, most of the technical stuff for the the digital platform. I did most of the Mark III stuff about two years ago. And, you know, it does require adaptation from module to module. But the uh, software that I've designed to quickly bang out some algorithms that, that works fairly well for my purposes. So I'm able to think more creatively about how new devices like that should exist. Okay. I mean, there's always the... Uh, it's always the chores of creating unique layouts and adapting the uh, interface circuits for each application. But overall, it's a lot easier than it used to be to think of a system's worth of functions. So you've got this thing that you you've worked you you put a lot of work in on, like maybe the the front end, or you know, you've you've built a system by which you can make future 
designs easier and i imagine just over time that just kind of gets more honed in with every new module so do you find yourself like enjoying the, like each each new mark like even more than the last or? oh yeah okay that's yeah. that's good <laughs> um also I'm, i was curious you know i, I see you see there's there's mo some module makers um they make this module and then that's there's no there's no mark two there's no version two mm -hmm. you know there's 1.0 mm -hmm. that's it and then they work on new designs and i feel like you've got your stuff that you like and you just keep improving on that mm -hmm. and now i'm kind of curious i guess can you i guess is this even a real question but why is that is it is it because you never feel like you're done with it or do you always just like does something pop into your head later on like oh shit i could do that with this well back when the mark one stuff was done you know a lot of that was a learning experience done for a really small audience compared mm -hmm. to what we have now mm -hmm. and myself learning how to listen to sounds better and think of what how to get better control over the circuits or the uh, microcontrollers i mean most of my explorations with the Mark One and the Mark Two, as far as gener sound generation goes, that was uh, using more minimal devices like onboard data converters, for example, and making use of the imperfections there. Like on the first two piston Hondas, a lot of the character that comes, you know, I was trying to do something like imitate the quantization noise of the prop vs or the microwave and mm -hmm. a lot of that comes from playing with the chips on board data converters which really didn't perform to spec i spent so much time mistuning them to get the behavior that i liked the mark threes we start from a, a cleaner more well-behaved thing and achieve the character through other means okay God, I keep blanking. I've been doing I've been doing fucking ten hour days. This is this is week four of starting at five a.m. So it's it's kind of kicking my ass. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, I've already talked his ear off about my my hell weeks that I've had. So yeah, and uh, yeah, I was saying likewise. Our drive up here, all we did was bitch about work. Um, <laughs> well, speaking okay. Well, then that kind of makes me think like bitch about work. Is there is there anything that uh, is there anything that has eluded you since you've started? Like I want to make. I want to make this, but I haven't got it to the point where I'm ready to release it. Um, or is there anything that you kind of have your eye on, like that you want to try to achieve? There's been a bunch of stuff been threatening since ever, but I think this <laughs> new platform is, you know, it's time to do it. Like, you know, frequency domain processing granular. I've been doing some nice research into a few things. This year, it's about, you know, I just did the Hertz Donut. Now I'm working on the Bionic Lester filter, which is now, you know, the, the Mark I was a, uh, it was a switch capacitor filter with interesting distortion and aliasing behavior. This upcoming Mark III is all digital, and, you know, everything I liked about those brightly painted mid-90s virtual analog mm -hmm. synthesizers. Okay. So... I guess you, so. You do a lot of digital. Do you do digital control over analog stuff, or is it kind of like do you do combinations, or is most of your stuff yeah. digital now? The uh, I prefer analog filters and VCAs overall. Mm -hmm. So you know the double Andre series, both of those 
and analog VCAs. The new Andre Jr., which will be released this year, is a analog low-pass gate circuit under digital control. I'm really looking forward to that one. I'm still undecided on what the double Andre Mark III should do. I mean, if it's a purely digital amplifier, then there's a lot of cool modulation and phase tricks that you can do to the signal before it goes back out. Mm-hmm. But I do like the analog VCAs that I use. Mm-hmm. So Now, does it some, like, I mean, we already covered that, like, you know, that the oscillators are kind of maybe your favorite, if you want to use that word. But mm-hmm. um, does working on, like, a utility sometimes, does it ever get to a point where you're like, I just, I, I want to slam my head against the wall, like, because you're not like like listening to the, you're not you're not creating the actual sound, maybe just like controlling the behavior of a pre-existing sound. Like that seems like that might lose its luster quicker than creating the actual sound. No, I've had some fun creating utilities, but you know, by nature they're usually analog, and mm-hmm. the the fine tuning of a device's behavior, you know, it's really simple to do in digital. You just compile the thing differently. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, an analogger. Once that's once your component values are baked in, no second chances. <laughs> I mean, how I feel about the way the some mixer multiple works one day I might I might feel differently a couple months from then. But mm-hmm. I can't just throw out a firmware update for that. So most of the analog stuff that I've produced, it's uh, the original circuit designs are by Vladimir Kuzmin, who did the Polyvox. I have a, I've released a basic synthesizer voice full of stuff from that. I've done a couple analog utilities of my own. Okay. I'm also curious to see what you think of, um, you know, so y- having been in the Eurorack world since basically it really started picking up in popularity, I feel like we're maybe on our third wave of like a boost in popularity yeah. of it right now. Um, how do you feel about that? Like, I, I mean, as a as a business person, there's got to be a level of of excitement or or maybe even stress about it. But like, just as like somebody who loves the format and everything, how, like, I mean, I think the initial thing is to feel enthusiastic. But is there some is there some concerns you have about anything? Or just how do you feel like the the general trajectory of of the popularity in the world of Eurorack right now? Anyway, it's always been, you know, the more the merrier. Mm-hmm. I can't say I really have any concerns personally. It's just, I imagine it being a bit overwhelming for a new user because we have, you know, dozens more companies than we had five years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, devices aren't getting any less interesting, that's for sure. Right, right. And, Yeah. Lots of fresh blood actually using the stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm curious also to see what you. I feel like I'm noticing a trend in. Well, so you got like the teenage engineering making something a little bit more approachable and affordable, and then, um, you know, Volca modular. But then you've got stuff like the No Coast and the Microvolt, which are. Those are not toys. <laughs> you know, those are, those are robust standalone semi modulars. Um, I've kind of wonder if that's the direction, like, is, is there going to be some like melding to where that's going to be the most popular form of electronic music device. Um, but I don't know jack shit about this stuff, so I could be way off about that. Yeah. I couldn't say either. Cause I, I don't, 
pay very close attention to trends of how people use things. Mm -hmm. I just, I get ideas and I make devices about those ideas and whatever audience there is offers useful feedback to me to do other ideas. So how much, how much interaction do you have with your users around the world? And, um, and what is, what is that interaction like? Well, I try to do a couple trade shows a year, like Knobcon or Superbooth or Tokyo Festival or Modular. I also interact with people over email through our support system. I don't spend a whole lot of time participating in forums or anything like that, though. I'm finding more and more that that environment is the toxic wasteland of people hiding behind anonymity saying really shitty things oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. As, you know as as one of the as the first you know american eurat company one of like the you like if if people ask about you know modular like name name some companies you're in there for sure and then you know like the i dream of wires stuff and uh did you do anything with the patch cv film guys have they come up here at all or? um i ran into them when they were at modular eight and they got me for a few minutes okay. i heard they used like 10 15 seconds of footage of me but like my head kept like following the camera on the track <laughs> so i don't know if they got anything useful out of it <laughs> i was unprepared as well so yeah i don't yeah. think there's a whole lot of content there but they but, had some nice gear for sure. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I think they're they're doing something cool. Like the ep, the episodic documentary approach is pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Um, but like, do you ever have people like fanboy fangirl out on you at the cons? Is <laughs> a different kind of like feel a little weird? Like, because I, I it imagine gets me hugging them all the time. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, I like I know just like just here in Seattle, like you know, people are like, oh shoot, Scott's coming in. So like, that's that's got to be a, a surreal feeling, like starting as just like. You know, I wanted to make this thing for myself, and now you're kind of like, you know, a known figure in this, like, blossoming world of enthusiasts. I don't know. That's got. That seems. It seems like that's got to be kind of a weird thing. I don't know yeah, what I'm asking you right now. It's been a <laughs> bit of that. It's been weird to adjust to. Overall, it's been positive. Yeah. But again, responsibilities. Yeah. So speaking of responsibilities, I'm curious of. Uh, as far as the company goes, it's 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 always fascinating. Sometimes I hear, "Oh, we've got five employees. We've got ten employees. It's just me." You know, <laughs> like so. What what's the structure of the company, and like what what do you handle on a day to day? And do you farm any? Like, what do you farm out? And, and if you don't want, if if this is like too much of how the sausage is made, we don't have to go into it. But well. The Sausage Factory is a <laughs> dark place manufacturing down in Oregon. Yeah. They uh, they do the product manufacturing and testing. And then up here, I have two employees that do shipping, receiving, dealer communications, and so on. Typically, they take all repetitive tasks that are in any modes other than research and development. So I am left to do that purely on my own. So... Usually every morning I just send out an email with the stuff that I would like to have done and it magically gets done. <laughs> but I like to keep a close interaction with all the guys down in Portland, so sometimes I drive down there twice a week if something is being manufactured. Damn, that's a haul. 
three. Well, let's guess it's not too bad. Some days are better yeah. than others. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, it's the that five curve that, that gets yeah. you. Yep. And some, I almost always drive back the same night. Mm-hmm. Have a nice little routine. Wake up in the morning, get down there, see everyone, eat a nice meal, go buy some tax-free furniture at IKEA, mm-hmm. come back, yep, yep, <laughs> yep. and then pay the use tax. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. <laughs> I do the same. It's, you know that good get home probably around you know on a good good drive. Get back about midnight, one o'clock somewhere on there yeah, at the yeah. latest. I just bought Bill Callahan tickets for a Portland show. You know, do you know Bill Callahan? Mm-hmm. Smog. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's well. He's like my favorite of all time, and I've never seen him. So, and then he's playing in Seattle the next night, but they're not on sale yet. But that that has nothing to do with what we're talking about. <laughs> we're just talking about Portland. Um, Jeremy, do you have any questions? Scott. Um, Come on, co-host. Yeah, yeah sure. I'm a little <laughs> silent today. Um, well, I just put you on the spot. Yeah, you know, it's, it's all right. I can, I can go maybe do some of those like generic ones for the the public out there. Like, is there anything going on with the 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 BFF? Yeah, we've talked a little about the BFF lately. Um, basically, the, the way that one works is uh. If you're familiar with the Manther, it's a beautiful compact synthesizer mm-hmm. that's kind of like an old Japanese tabletop thing from the 80s. Yeah, the BFF is kind of a, you know, what makes the Manther really special, I think, is not the voice, but the sequencer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Ben Davis did a really awesome job making that sequencer. So the idea of the BFF is to extend that to four voices and then the thing that I'm bringing to the table is, you know, set of wavetable oscillators for it. So a lot of the stuff that I designed for that has been done for a while now. Okay. I guess at some point we'll reconvene and start making the two parts work really well together. So wait, is this a, I don't know about this. Is this a, is this a Maleco uh, industrial collaboration on like a desktop synth yeah it it looks a lot like a manther but got a few key differences so i imagine like a same kind of sequencer but sequencing four voices of wavetables okay okay i haven't haven't used that but i've 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 just watched uh i've heard sean uh dark side of the tune ranting and raving about how awesome it is lately that's a beautiful little box yeah that's for for sure that the I love the, the little wave wave shaper on it. That thing just gets real gnarly. Now, will this be? Will this have uh, any uh, CV capabilities? Yeah, it's got a. I haven't looked at the actual panel drawing in quite a while, but as you can see, the Manther's got lots of ins and outs to mm-hmm. inject in various points of the circuit. We've also thought about how this thing may operate polyphonically when given a MIDI signal. Okay. I mean, there are a number of different directions to go, but you know, once Ben starts going on stuff, a bunch of really good ideas usually happen. I've been talking to that guy for years. The thing's called BFF because of a very uh, special relationship between myself and one of the most beautiful human beings I have ever met, Joshua <laughs> Hawley. I would can contest to that as well. <laughs> <laughs> Can, two uh, of two of the nicest people in our whole community. One of them's right in front of us, Mr. Scott. Uh-huh. And Joshua Holly are two of the 
nicest, kindest beans I've ever had the pleasure of meeting. I haven't met Josh yet. Well, maybe you two should take a drive to Portland. Yeah, sometime. maybe we should chat about that. So, I, I'm, well, now that you've introduced it, can you maybe tell us that story then? What story is here? Uh, your friendship. Well, and your co- and, and did it was it born out of synth the synth world? It's actually born out of pedals. Okay. When I first started the company, the there's also the idea to produce a bit crusher pedal, which will finally be happening soon. But you know, Josh was one of the first people I ever communicated with about that. Let's see, I met him through uh, Debbie Ever, and mm-hmm. Josh provided me a lot of useful information about the uh, the Lexan overlays that he was mm-hmm. using on his pedals at the time. So eventually, he moved up to Portland and started in his uh, facility for Maleco. So I started to see him quite frequently then. And then eventually he started Dark Place Manufacturing. And of course I eventually became a client to them. And it's just been, you know, ramping up ever since. We, uh, we don't usually speak in terms of like concrete ideas, like product features and stuff, but I think we have similar appreciation of aesthetics mm-hmm. yeah i i definitely speaking of aesthetics i think um your stuff's always looked good and you've been you've i feel like you've just been subtly evolving it like it's still like it it never like went through a, a full makeover but it's just subtly been getting just like cooler and cooler looking and um do, is that is this your design? Like, do you, do you do the the layout and pick the colors and everything? And yeah, I do all the the graphics, visual identity. Mm-hmm. I don't have much formal training as a graphic artist, but the Mark II and now the Mark III series are those were mostly inspired by the Tektronics TM five hundred series of uh, modular test equipment. It was interesting with how. They mark off functional blocks on the faceplate, use color coding. Okay. The use of text error is really good. Okay. And yeah. you can never go wrong with orange and black. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. And I just love like the 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 bigger like the bigger controls and like the, the with the faders and the, the multiple sizes. It's very very appealing looking and I don't really care what anybody says. Like I'm gonna get the module for the function first always but if it looks really good that does not hurt that, that you know that's that's uh that's something that i i enjoy about i think there's a lot of really fucking cool looking stuff and i gotta say your stuff definitely pops out when you're looking at a setup well my stuff looks the way it does so the hands can do what they need to do especially in low light situations it just mm. so happens that a lot of the time it, it looks good probably because i avoid putting things in grids if i can mm-hmm the oh, idea yeah. is just give each module a unique arrangement of controls that you can recognize by touch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, so... Use to, muscle memory to mm-hmm. yeah. perform with. A lot of that goes back to uh, looking how, at how Mike Brown did his Livewire modules with the different knob sizes and mm-hmm. CV attenuators that are actually close to the, the jacks mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. they interacted with. Yeah, so that... that, that um, makes me think of two things because well i want to touch on the pedal thing but i listened to your talk with darwin gross and i was that a few years ago yeah it was like two years ago yeah so and i want to put a pin in the pedals because you were talking about pedals with him um 
But as far as the the layout, I I think if I remember right, you you definitely think of them as like the the layout as an instrument and mm-hmm. the muscle memory and learning to to play it. Mm-hmm. Um, at what point in the the design of the whole thing, like because you you have you you have to design like what you want it to do, and the and then the circuitry it has to fit within this this format on a on a PCB, and then behind the panel like. How that seems like a fucking stressful job to try to figure out like how you're gonna place everything to make it all the components talk to each other, but to make it equal out on a faceplate that makes sense. Yeah, you know, like I don't think I worded that very well, but I think you get what I'm saying. Yeah, it's a stressful thing, and anytime you slip up, it's usually really expensive to correct it. <laughs> yeah, but as far as the mechanical design goes, I know a lot of people. Stacy Hexenberger comes to mind. They do a lot of a uh, 3D visualization of their component placements and the entire package. I don't. I've not. I've never done that myself. You know, all my stuff's surface mount, so I've never needed a third PCB for anything. Mm-hmm. I'm done trying to cram everything onto one, though. I, I like having a double decker arrangement because that way the the stuff that actually depends on having a nice clean layout can have the space and the arrangement that it needs. And then all the noisy LED stuff lives up top next to the LEDs. I've I've always done things in 2D. Okay. Okay. Speaking of, like, I feel like there's, there's size wars. Um, You know, some people really don't like the smaller stuff. Some people are all about it. I mean... I've, but I feel like the the amount of complexity that comes within your modules, you you you, you fit them in a, a relatively small but playable footprint, and I'm sure a lot of that has to do with the digital aspect of it. Yeah. Um, but do you do you like is is there are there some of your modules that were bigger that you wanted to make smaller, or do you or does, do you just have them come out the size that they are? Like, well, is that something school. you're concerned about? I think the height width proportion of odd HP modules is much more pleasing. Mm-hmm. So I usually start there. Like 15 is perfect. It's beautiful. It's like a two wide frack rack module from a million years ago. Um, Double Audrey is a good example of something that's grown and shrunk over the years. Like my current drawing for the potential Mark III design is quite a bit bigger. I like to usually keep things compact. Like when I got the, the Mark II oscillators, the Hertzstone and Piston Honda done, those were really, uh, I was really happy with how those two in particular worked out. So I tried to keep the same 17 HP footprint for the Mark threes. Mm-hmm. And then it became a nice challenge for Piston Honda. How do I fit? two nearly fully functional independent oscillators into the same package. So, you know, I prefer if things aren't any bigger than they need to be, but I don't really go out of my way to like, once the fingers start bumping into each other or into knobs, that they're not supposed to, I, I tend to avoid that. Yeah. But Which sometimes I do start with a really small spec- panel size specification Okay. and try to make that work. Yeah, I mean, it's 
it just seems like I mean you've been doing it a long time, so I feel like you've really you really cracked the code of it being a playable instrument, but not being, you know, seventy HP. You know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I that, and again, like I I think I think I fall right in the middle as far as the size goes. Like I like I like micro versions of things and 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 whatnot, but it, it all depends on what that is. Like like so, Schlappy Engineering has that angle grinder. It's an all it's it's you know it's it's all analog oscillator and that thing is something i like to play mm-hmm. you know and it's big it's really big but i wouldn't want it to be any smaller but yeah. some things i'm fine with it being smaller because i'm not actually i plug patch cables into it and then that's that's the last time i touch it for that piece or whatever so well angle grinder my feelings on that one the the uh you know the circuit's only like 50 percent experience there i mean look at that faceplate that, yeah yeah that thing commands you to interact it with with it in a certain way more mm-hmm. or less and we mentioned the micro versions again uh yeah mutable is a great example like i don't a lot of the these micro designs from whoever like it doesn't really appeal to me as much like even if i had space limitations i would i would consider the original full size stuff first because you know as as grid based as a lot of those face plates are you mm-hmm. still look at them and they have they have this very distinct visual identity that really adds to the the experience of making music with them mm-hmm. yeah, and i think that a lot of that is lost when strictly considering size and its reduction mm-hmm. yeah i'm currently on a really big soul searching mission right now when it comes to the uh the clones and the micro versions and i'm i'm putting my my thoughts on it in the oven right now and it's baking um it's a pretty polarizing thing and uh and i see some of it and i think some of it's a little i don't know but like i said i'm i'm baking those those ideas right now <laughs> so I, I can't speak on it too um but yeah i think i think ultimately it's it really comes down to uh to individual users you know and I think it's it's interesting when a company or a manufacturer um, can find that that balance of playability, aesthetics, and you know design size. Like I feel like that's one of the the, the more interesting, and it must be one of the more challenging aspects of this format because there's there even even a giant module as a physical thing is still relatively small, mm-hmm. you know. So um, yeah. I think I've beat that horse to death. <laughs> and, uh, possibly go back to the pedal stuff and, and yeah. older products of yours, like the the Black Locust stuff. Mm-hmm. Is there is there any um, looking into the future of that, of evolving that concept of the, of the feedback network? Oh, Black Locust is great. I still sell a bunch of those. Um, it's a it's a revision of like the earlier feedback console where I had the four channel pedal adapter, then I had the matrix mixer that plugged into it. Mm-hmm. I almost did another run of that matrix mixer, but you know, time times have changed quite a bit since two thousand nine when I did the first one. And you know, for the price that my modules cost, you know, I can't get around that. So I'm, you pack more features into the thing to make it worthwhile and become something else altogether. Okay. So I've always envisioned that of being a sort of feedback console where you know, typically you've had the, had the black locust as your channel inputs and using mm-hmm. your 
guitar pedals to overdrive or delay everything. But the uh, the keystone that was to tie all those together is the uh, homicide sensor, four-channel VCA with envelope followers and routing and whatever. That idea is solidifying now that I have a nice voltage-controlled preset manager as well. Okay. So I don't know if I'll ever produce a great number of those devices, but I'll definitely make a couple. We're approaching our time. But really? yeah, it goes fast, doesn't it? Even for me, it goes fast. I, f- I imagine as a as a guest, me being so quiet helped too. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think being in person is always you know I do a lot of these for through Skype because I talk to people all over the world. But it, it this is always this is always more enjoyable, yeah, this is preferable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. If like I if so, uh, yeah, that's that's eventually the goal, but. It's like I'm still holding the medical device up to my face and I'm waiting for the image of the radioactive <laughs> eggs to appear on the screen. <laughs> Best eggs I've ever had. <laughs> All right, let's take a quick look at the MicroVolt 3900 from Pittsburgh Modular. I am uh, using it by itself and going straight from the uh, output jack into the interface and I've got um, a few little patch cables breaking up that original signal chain um, using the LFO to open up an envelope to uh, trigger the VCA and I'm using the pluck mode in the VCA so you can hear how well plucky it sounds right now uh, function generators controlling the frequency of the filter um, and I'm also going to show you the uh, unstable mode of the, the filter's resonance, which I will engage now. If I open up the, the, the dynamic slider on the VCA, you'll hear that a little bit more pronounced. And we'll turn the unstable mode off. So that's without it, with it. But let's take that off and let's close this down and get into some, uh, some weirdness. I'm just gonna jam for a second. Stable mode engaged. I'll take that back off. That one's off. We'll put it back on. Right now, the melody is being controlled by the random voltage, um, but you can you can crossfade between that and the LFO ramp. So I'll do that really quick. really shines when you have that resonance all the way up and bring that frequency almost all the way down.
Now, before I stop this little demo, I want to show you how the, uh, there's an output drive on the, the main output, which is pretty, pretty gnarly. So now I've turned that up, let's bring that back up in the mix. There's just some uh, some fun noises that you can make um, with the microvolt. Uh, again, it's it's super fun to play on its own. It would make an excellent just desktop monosynth if you wanted to use a keyboard to control it. Uh, it's got a MIDI pin. Uh, you can use sequencers via a pitch CV input jack, and yeah, easily integrated into your modular system or can be used completely outside the modular world. Uh, and if you're gonna like go on a road trip. Well, I guess it's not battery-powered, but if you have uh, some sort of inverter or uh, if you're taking a plane ride and they have a power outlet, this would be a lot of fun to pass some time with. Um, in fact, I'm going to be flying this this summer, and it's definitely coming along. So, yeah, check out Pittsburgh Modular Synthesizers, Microvolt 3900. Is there, is there anything, that, anything specifically that you're working on um, maybe that you that has been announced but maybe you haven't talked a whole lot about um i'm always down for some exclusives or is there anything that's that you're that you, you're thinking about working on well right now i'm deep in the determining the character of the bionic luster 3 and that's going really well I'm about to show some hardware at synthplex and super booth related to that and kermit mark 3 is going to make an appearance right around that time that's grown by 2 hp it's now a four channel modulator with the uh, morphing presets master tap tempo facility and a couple other things it's kind of moving away from a dirty audio oscillator uh, it can get in that ballpark at low frequencies mm -hmm. uh, now it's uh we're about managing very complex modes of modulation in a 12 hp space with cute little blinky leds mm -hmm. yeah pedals are finally going to get going the, the approach to the pedals is uh, a bit different from the modules in that I am designing them to be used on the floor with the guitars. Okay. So they have, they don't have a million CV inputs. Some of them have one that can be routed somewhere. And they have these things that you step on with your foot and it happens. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Well, yeah, you, can, you can also turn the the knobs through fingers if you want but you know the tone comes from the fingers and not the the twisty actions that you do on the controls mm -hmm. so i i'm designing the devices to be used with guitars okay. i mean you can use them with whatever you want but that's exciting. I I got into this because of pedals, and now I'm recently kind of diving back into pedals because I just got a little, uh, little two HP module that's designed to, you know, route my signal into those from AI synthesis. It's been a lot of fun using like my Earthquaker, and and I've got a bunch of recovery stuff too. So 
um, yeah, I look forward to checking those out. And are you feeling up to doing a patch patch challenge? What's a patch challenge? So I, I'll give you a random adjective and a random noun, and then we'll stop recording, and you get 15 minutes to make a patch based off of that. And then when you're done, we can pull you plug it in here and you can perform it for a few minutes okay that sounds fun i got okay. enough stuff plugged in my case to make that workable sweet but daniel i want you as my honorary co-host i want you to think of an adjective and noun that because you know scott you've been friends with scott for a while i want you to tailor tailor an adjective noun combination that you think will be good for him really put me on the spot i'm really putting you on the spot but i can edit out all the thinking time the magic of technology but i probably won't because let's let's do that let's uh, let's edit out the thinking time (laughs) okay but you can leave in my cop out of asking you to oh we're getting so meta right now definitely not editing this shit out I'm I get it. I'm gonna go cute and adorable. I'm just gonna go with bubbly. Bubbly? Oh, dude, we just had bubbly recently. Oh, Sorry. Bummer. It was actually bubbly death though. And oh, you're right. Yeah. Oh, the live, the yeah. live one. I forgot about that. It was right. really good. Right. Shout out to Hank Yates. Mm, with torment. Torment. Tor- torment. Tor- tormentuous. Yes, go tormentuous. Damn, we're getting real dark on us. You went from bubbly to tormentuous. <laughs> <laughs> I'm admiring this fine piece of art that we both have a, a, a love of. Oh, yes. What, what? There's a Tudor deconstructed Tudark Park poster hiding behind the modular oh. case. I've been so, eyeing it the so whole time. I've been eyeing these Jacksons. I like a good Jackson. <laughs> Reverse headstock. Yeah. Tormentuous. Now go cute. Go cute for a noun. Corgi. <laughs> let's do that. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. I only... Or, yeah. Fluffy. Fluff butts. No loafs. <laughs> or tormentuous loaf. You have two? Tormentuous loaf. I like that. I like that. Okay.
How's that for a big old loaf of torment? Tormentuous Loaf by Scott Yeager. I want to thank Scott for uh, being on the show, and I want to thank Daniel for joining me. Um, yeah, and I want to thank you for listening. Don't forget to check out Pittsburgh Modular, AI Synthesis, Recovery Effects, Patchworks, um, you know the drill. And also check out uh, what Scott's been up to. Keep an eye on him. There's a lot of cool stuff coming out of industrial music electronics. But I don't think you need me to tell you that. Until next week.